Well, good morning. How are y'all this morning? Morning. Finer's frog hair. Well, I was when I told you last week that this week was it for me. That was before I started studying, and uh, the plan originally was to talk a little bit about singleness this week, and then finish up talking about marriage and complementarity. And as I got into studying singleness, I realized that it has to be by itself. The Bible is very clear when it talks about singleness. And I think it's something that's going to be different for us as a church. Something that we probably haven't heard before. So I know for me, this the mindset behind what I'm going to be teaching today my, my mindset really shifted on this because I, I, I grew up in the church. I understood what was expected of me when it comes to getting married. Um, and then seeing what Scripture has to say, just it just really opened my perspective and opened my eyes to this. So I wanted to try to bring this. And you'll, you'll notice that I'm, I'm going to be a whole lot more focused today than I have been previous weeks. Um, but let me get let me pray for us and get us started, and then I'll, we'll get into this conversation. Father, we come before you this morning. Um, we give you our concerns and our anxieties. Uh, you say to cast our cares on you because you care for us. Lord, help us to not only know that, but to absorb that and accept that for ourselves. Uh, Father, I pray that your word would speak loud and clear today, that you would give us hearts to absorb what you have to say to us, and I pray that uh, you will be glorified in all that is said. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we've been going through these lessons, the whole point is the differentiation between two worldviews, different perspectives on different worldviews. So uh, we're talking today about singleness, and, and I'm going to start off talking a little bit about marriage, and then I'm really going to focus on that next week. Um, but let's let's kind of get the idea from the world's perspective. And, and I'm going to be honest, I, I was looking for a good word um, to kind of define society's perspective on singleness and marriage. And I'm going to be honest, what I came up with is hypocritical. And, and let me explain how I get there. Uh, from society's perspective, is marriage good or bad? marriage is bad because it subjugates women and it subjugates children and and it's you know it, it puts puts them in a, in a lesser status but marriage is good if you're homosexual right and that kind of the the messages that's coming across if it wasn't good for homosexuals why would they fight so hard for it okay um singleness uh, singleness is bad because, you know, you're just not complete unless you're married. You just got to get married. You got to have children. Got to raise a family. But you know what? Singleness is good. Because, you know, you avoid all of that attachment. You avoid all of that, um, uh, uh, the bad of marriage. You're not subjugating women. You're not subjugating children. And by the way, on top of all of that, you can have sex with as many people as you want without any consequences, right? Especially in our society with abortion. 
There's no, there's no consequences for our behavior. So singleness is good from that perspective. Do, do you see that the hypocritical perspective that society has on singleness and marriage? It's no different than any other topic we have already covered. Everything that the, that society looks at, they, they've got one aspect that it's okay and one aspect that it's not okay. They're very hypocritical in their perspectives. So where does this, where's the foundation on this for society? Well, the foundation is this. Selfishness, I am what is most important. That's the foundation. If, if marriage is good for me, then it's good. And if it's not good for me, then it's bad. And if singleness is good for me, then it's good. And if it's not, it's bad. It's all about me. What I want, how I want it, when I want it. That's what it's about. And, and from the biblical term, we call that idolatry, right? We, we are the most important thing in our life. So that kind of brings us to, that's society's perspective on this. But what's the Bible's perspective on this? Okay, is marriage good and bad? Is singleness good and bad from the Bible's perspective? Well, before I get into singleness specifically, let's talk about marriage. So I'm gonna today is gonna be about singleness, and I, I asked Scott Lewis if I could please have one more week because when I got into this study, I realized there was no way I was gonna cover singleness and uh, complementarity marriage um, in one week. It just wasn't going to happen, and they graciously gave me one more week. Um, please understand something. I'm not going to cover everything, just like every other topic that we've covered over the last few weeks. I'm not going to cover everything. My goal is to point you into the direction of a more biblical worldview. Point you in the direction of a focus of what the Bible says on how we should respond. That's, the, that's the, my desire for you. Okay, I can't cover everything. Uh, it seems like every Sunday after the Sunday school lesson is over, I have two or three people come up and say, and what about this? And what about this? And what about this? I'm like, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But I don't have enough time. Otherwise, people would get really annoyed because I would be talking nonstop. So I have to be very focused in what I say. There are going to be other aspects and other pictures to this, but this is just one foundational piece. Okay. So what does the Bible say about marriage? Okay, and and some of you know some of those some of those passages already, right? Um, uh, Ephesians six, Colossians three, right? Those are the ones we always go back to. Husbands love your wives. Uh, wives respect your husbands. Children obey your parents, right? Those are the ones we always go back to. But let's take a a whirlwind tour through the Bible and see what the scriptures say about marriage. And I'm just going to hit these very quickly. Marriage is God's directive from the very beginning. Genesis chapter one, verses twenty-seven and twenty-eight. Chapter 2, verse 22. It's God's idea from the beginning. Jesus speaks of the importance of marriage in Matthew 19 and Mark 10. And he quotes from Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. So Genesis is the foundation for marriage. Jesus himself um, agrees with that and points back to those verses in Genesis. Um, he has parables that include marriage. And, and, you know, if you know anything about parables of Jesus, he's taking real life situations and he's creating a story that makes his points. OK, so that's your parable. In his parables, um, Matthew 22, Matthew 24, Mark 12, Luke 17, Luke 20, he's talking about marriage. Specifically, and John 21, 25 
And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. So all of this that we have that Jesus has talked about, and we know we can pretty much guarantee that he probably talked more than this. This is just what's been recorded. Uh, look at the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Ephesians chapter 6, Colossians chapter 3, Titus chapter 2. All these passages talking about marriage, that it's good. Hebrews 13, we don't know who the author is specifically, but Hebrews 13 talks about marriage. 1 Peter chapter 3 talks about marriage. Did you realize that marriage is this much of an important thing to talk about in God's mind, that he's covered the entire scripture with at least one chapter talking about how important marriage is. First uh, Peter 3, 7, you husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone who is weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Marriage is a grace of life, folks. You're like, you're talking about singleness today. Yes, I am, but you need to understand what I'm saying here. Proverbs 18, 22, he who finds a wife finds a, good thing. Jeremiah 29.6, the Israelites are in captivity and Jeremiah's words to the people in captivity, take wives, become fathers of sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply and do not decrease. So even in captivity, marriage is given priority and importance. And this, this is important because I'm going to be spending the rest of this time talking about singleness, but I want you to understand that there's no this or that, okay? Scripture is very clear that marriage is important, all right? 1 Timothy chapter 4, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own consciousness with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage okay so what he's saying is it's not the holy spirit that tells you to forbid marriage marriage is good it's god ordained and it's not to be forbidden okay hebrews 13 uh, 13 4 marriage is to be held in honor above all okay did you you get where I'm at. Marriage is good, right? You understand that? Okay. Now, that's what you get to look forward to next week. Um, what's the church's view of singleness? Not the Bible's view. Think back over the last, uh, for some of us, 50 years or 60. Some of us have fewer than that. Um, in the churches that you've been in in the last 30 or 40 or 50 years. What's the church's view? The church's view of singleness, not the big C church, the little C church. Most of the people try to find you a, a wife or a husband. Which means that being single is. I don't know if it's frowned upon, but it's. It, it, well, it is frowned upon. You're abnormal if you're single. There's something wrong with you if you're single. Okay? That's the general consensus in the church generally that if you're single you've got a problem and we need to fix you right okay well let's find out what scripture actually says about this please turn to first corinthians chapter 7.
Now, I, I'm, I'm not going to read all 35 verses or all 40 verses of this, okay? Um, I'm going to pull out some very specific verses in the first 25 verses and talk specifically about a couple of things, and we're going to spend our time in 25 to 40, okay? So let me break the chapter down for you so you understand what's going on in this chapter. Chapter 7 is Paul talking to the Corinthian church about marriage, okay? Believers, you have to understand, there's Jewish believers, so they have a very Jewish persuasion when it comes to marriage. And there are some Roman Christians that are in Corinth that have a very Roman perspective or a very Greek perspective of, of what is good, okay? And to understand where he's going to go with this, you have to understand this. Jews believe that if your spouse doesn't believe, they defile you, so you need to get rid of them. The Greeks believe that it's better just to stay, you know, be single. Okay? So if, if you, you know, that, that, that those distractions can be a bad thing. So that's the mindset that he's walking into with this conversation. Chapter, uh, chapter 7, verses 1 to 16, he's speaking directly to people who are married. Verses 17 to 24, he's talking to both marrieds and singles. And 25 to 40, he's talking to singles or dads of singles. And dads, you're going to get it today. Okay, so we're going to pull out some pieces as we move through, through verse 25. And in verse 25, we're going to dig in, okay? So uh, verses 1 and verses 7 and 8. So verse 1 says, Now concerning the things which you wrote about, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And verses 2 through 7 go into, excuse me, 2 through 6 go into uh, the fact that because of immoralities, it's good for a man to have a wife. Um, it's better for you to marry and, and not burn, for, burn in lust than it is to be single and burn in lust. So that's that conversation there, 1 to 6. But chap, verse 1 says, it is good... For a man not to touch a woman. Verse 7. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Verse 8. But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them to remain as I am. So three things about singleness before we get into the depth of this. Number one, verses 1 and verse 8. Singleness is... It's good. Singleness is not bad. Singleness is good. Verse 7 is the second piece. Singleness is what? A gift from God. Boy, haven't we got it wrong in the church. Now, Please understand, I, I'm not, please don't think I'm going off the deep end on this side of, for singleness, okay? I am married, okay, happily, all right? But you need to understand, verse 7 is very clear. Paul says, some have a gift for this, some have a gift for that. Singleness is a gift, marriage is a gift. Do you realize that this is the only gift that you're given to choose? 
that God gives? Do you realize that? We are chosen in him. Our salvation is given to us. Your spiritual gifts are given to you by the Spirit. And here he gives you the choice, marriage or singleness. It's the only gift that he gives that is a choice. Interesting, isn't it? All right, let's keep going. Uh, Verse 10. But to the married I give instructions, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. Verse 11, but if she does leave, let her remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not send his wife away. Stop there. Now, you know what? Let me read verse 12 because they're, they're, uh, they're connected. But to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother who has a wife that is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, let him not send her away. And then the rest of this chapter goes through that, or the rest of this section goes through that. So verse 10 says, to the married I give instructions, not I but the Lord. Verse 12 says, the rest I say, not the Lord. You know, a lot of people have taken this to mean that what Paul says that agrees with Jesus is, is authoritative and what Paul says that doesn't agree with Jesus is you can just decide if you want to follow it or not. There's a problem with that. Let me walk you through your, our problem. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Remember from week 1, we said Scripture is going to be our guide, right? And 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 is a verse that you need to put in your brain. All Scripture, all Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God. Yeah, but, well, you know, well, let's take your butt to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his son. So, you know what? Let's look uh, at what Jesus has to say about that. John chapter 16, verse 13. Now, I'm going to turn to this one because I want to make sure that I get the whole picture here for you. Jesus is um, Jesus is at the at the Last Supper. He is talking to his disciples about what's coming and 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 all of the things that they need to know. At this point, he's now telling them things that he hasn't bothered to tell them because they he's been with them and he's getting ready to be taken from them. And John chapter sixteen verse thirteen says, "But when he, the Spirit of Truth, comes." which is what the Holy Spirit, right? He will guide you into all truth. Who's he speaking to? The disciples, the apostles. He's going to guide them into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what has come. He shall glorify me. So we can't say that Paul is not authoritative because Paul is one of the apostles. He wasn't here at this point, but he is considered one of the apostles. The apostles were told that the Holy Spirit would lead them into all truth and that they would would glorify Christ through 
the things that they say. Well, let, let's turn back to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7 because I want you to see this. Verse 10, But to the married I give instructions, not I but the Lord. What Paul is saying is this. Jesus already mentioned this. Verses 11 that he goes into sounds awful familiar to Jesus's Matthew and his Mark um, passages where he's talking about marriage, right? You shall leave your father and mother and cleave to your wife and you'll become one flesh, right? It sounds very familiar to that. What he's saying is this isn't coming from me specifically. Jesus already said this. Verse 12, but to the rest, I say, not the Lord. What he's, he's not saying that he's not authoritative. What he's saying is Jesus didn't talk about this. So now I'm going to do it. So don't get misunderstood there. Paul is just Paul is as as authoritative here as Jesus was in Matthew and Mark. Because the Holy Spirit is his authority. Okay? That's important. We don't want to lose that. Now it's a side note because it doesn't really it's not going where we're going, but I I really wanted you guys to see that. So verses 12 to to 24 and I'm going to read through this just real quickly because I want you to hear this before I say what I'm going to say. But to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever, she consents to live with him, let him not send her away. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, let her not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Yet if an unbelieving one leaves, let them brother or sister is not under bondage how do you know O wife whether you will save your husband or how do you know O husband whether you will save your wife only as the Lord is assigned to each one as God has called each it's not your job to save somebody it's God's job in that manner we'll let him walk and this I direct all the churches so what he's saying is two things number one it's God's job to call your unsaved spouse, not yours. And number two, remember we said that if you have an unbelieving spouse in this in Corinth, if you have an unbelieving spouse, they defile you, you need to get rid of them. He's saying, no, 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 no. He said, because you are saved, you sanctify the union. It's not a salvation issue. Okay, it's a separation issue. All right, so what he's saying here is, your faith is not founded on whether your spouse is married or whether your spouse is a believer or not, and your faith is not founded on whether you're single or married. Your faith is founded on whether Christ has called you. So being married or being single doesn't make you more spiritual. Okay, so those of you that have this mindset that because you're married and this person over here is single, you know more than they do. <laughs> you need to get rid of it. You're not no more spiritual simply because you're married than I am Joe Biden. Okay? Just because you want it to be doesn't mean it is. All right? That's important. So I'm going to give you five reasons to be single. And I'm looking around the room and most of you in here are married. But I want you to understand this because most of you, many of you have children 
that are single. And I want to make sure that you understand what Scripture says about being single so that you can help them to be balanced in their understanding of marriage and singleness. So this is important. Five reasons to be single. Verse 26. Actually, let me start at verse 25. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as to one by the mercies of the Lord is trustworthy. This, this is part of the reason why I spent time in verse 10 and verse 12. Verse 10 and verse 12 are commands. Verse 10. If um, the wife should not leave her husband, that's a command. Verse 12. Uh, if a brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, let him not send her away. Command. Verse 25. Uh, I give an opinion. So this is a guideline. You see the difference? Okay. Uh, second thing here, the word virgin just means unmarried person. Now in the Greek, there's a female, uh, there's a female clause that makes this specifically talking about women. But it basically simply means an unmarried woman. Which is interesting because when you jump to verse 26, he says it's good for a man to remain as he is. Same word in verse 25 for virgin, but now it's got a, man, uh, a, a male clause. So he's basically saying if you're a male or a female and you're unmarried, this is what I'm saying. Okay, verse 26. I think that it is good in the view of the present distress. It's good for a man, good for a man and a woman to remain as they are. Now, what does it mean, present stress? And, and some of the versions have, have some other words that fill in here. In, the, in, the present, in view of the present distress. Okay, Another way to think of this is the pressure of the system. In view of the pressure of the system, now the system could be our world system, our society. System could be your family. You notice he doesn't get very specific, right? The present distress, whatever the current distress happens to be, whatever is an immediate distress, immediate problem, could be your church. Remember we said the people in the church tend to think that it's a bad thing to be single. In light of the present, present distress, it's good to remain as you are. Why? Well, think of it from this perspective. Um... A secondary meaning to the Greek word for distress is violence. Because of the immediate violence. Have you seen what's been going on in our world? Uh, let, let, me, um, let me pull you to John chapter 15 real quick. 15 and 16. Uh, chapter 15, this is Jesus again. Um, uh, at the Last Supper, talking to the disciples. And the, these are his warnings to them. Verse 18 of chapter 15. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Verse chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. These things I have spoken to you that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. And these things will do because they will do because they do not know the Father or me. 
But these things I spoke to you that when the hour, their hour comes that you may remember that I told you of them. Present distress, folks, and you can see the world around us. It's everywhere. I was telling a couple of you earlier today of my present distress this week. And Pam will vouch for the fact that because we're married, she doesn't even go to work with me. She doesn't know these people, and it infuriates her. And then the struggles that, as a married person, you deal with is any decision that I choose to make based off of the situation doesn't just affect me. It affects her. It affects our children. It affects our grandchildren. Yet Paul says, in view of the present distress, it's good for a man to remain as he is, or a woman. Think about it. In light of the present distress, if you were single, the difficulties and the struggles you have are hard. Does that mean you're alone? No. That's what the body is for. But that's one less stress you have is to worry about how your decisions are going to affect that person and this person and this person and this person. It's good. It's good because of the problems uh, of the pressures of the world. Uh, let's continue reading verse 28. Uh, well, let me come back. 27. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you should marry, hear this, you have not sinned. And if a virgin should marry, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life. And I'm trying to spare you. Verse 28. Trouble in this life. Problems of the flesh. Okay, now we've talked about the system affecting us, right? So as a single, it's good because you have less people that are impacted by the, the problems of the system. But now, problems of the flesh. Okay? I, 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 I like all of you. you you're all, uh, I, I call you all very close friends, very, very, um, my, my, um, my family in the body. But I also know, because I know myself, that you're all sinners. She's a sinner. And I'm a sinner, right? Problems of the flesh. And what kind of problems, uh, what kind of problems in the flesh generally pop up when you're close to somebody? Now, let me let me pull a little Greek in here for you. There's a Greek word here for trouble called philipsis, and it just means pressed together. You want a better picture? Squashed grapes. Okay, so. Problems of the, of the flesh, trouble in life. So you've got squashed grapes in your life. What do I mean by that? Well, you take two people who are sinners and you put them in the same house living together for every day of every month of every year of their entire life and you're going to have squashed grapes, right? Uh, I do something like, let's see what would be a good example here. Um, <laughs> And, and Pam doesn't do this on purpose, and it's one of my pet peeves. Um, again, but this is squashed grapes, right? Um, uh, she loves to, to, to um, um, chips. She loves to crunch. No nuts. 
and, and nuts and chips. She loves to crunch, and crunching drives me insane. Okay, you're seeing it, right? <laughs> the flesh. And, and it's not Pam's flesh. It's my flesh that's causing the problem. Right? Um, anger. Very few guys that I know that don't struggle with anger at some point. And some women. Um, selfishness. But I don't want to go to your family's house again this weekend. Right? Pride. Stupidity. You were dumb enough to write that check to that business again. We told you we're not going to spend that money no more. Forgetfulness. Problems of the flesh, right? Now, add to that. So you got one big center and another center. And now you add six more smaller centers. And the grapes keep getting squashed. And then you add two grandbaby centers. And the grapes keep getting squashed. The pressures of the flesh. One good reason to stay single. The pressure of the world system. Second good reason to stay single. Problems of the flesh. Um, this is something that's heard a lot. People will say, um, if I get married, it will solve all my problems. Ask any married person. They're going to laugh at you because all it's going to do is make your problems more evident. You think you're going to be more holy because you're married. Well, once I get married and, and I can have sex, then I'm not going to have a lust problem. Wrong. Whatever lust problem you had before you're married is going to be worse after you're married. Um, what about um, loneliness? I'm just tired of being alone. Well, you know what? The most lonely people in the world are those in a marriage that doesn't work. So marriage isn't your solution. So don't get caught up in the emotion of things. And we're going to come to that in just a second. Don't get caught up in the emotion of things when the pressures of the flesh are your struggle. So number one, um, one good reason to stay single is the problems, uh, pressures of the world system. Second good reason to stay single, problems of the flesh. So let's look at verse 29. But this I say, brethren, that the time has been shortened so that from now on those who have wives should be as though... They had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. Okay, remember, he's already said, he said earlier, and he said just, just a couple of verses up above, if you're married, stay married, if you're single, stay single, right? That, that was his, that's his guideline for you. That's the, the command, right? Um, but now you're hearing him saying something that sounds a little different. Well, think of it from this perspective. He's talking about things that pass away. We're talking about things that are not eternal. Now, if you're somebody who got married that thinks that you're going to be married in heaven, you better read your Bible a little clearer. 
because marriage is temporal. And when you go to heaven, marriage doesn't exist anymore. Well, that's not true. There is, there's only one marriage, and it's going to be with Christ and the Lamb, the, the Christ and the body. So you're going to, it's Christ and all of us. Okay? And that is eternal. But you know what? We have that now. If you're a believer, you have that now. That's the eternal that follows us into eternity. The physical that you have right now will not follow you. So you are married, if you are married. If you are married, you do everything Scripture commands of you as a married person. Love your wives. Respect your husbands. Treat them as a weaker vessel. You do those things without losing the perspective that this is temporal and your eternal marriage to Christ is what is most important. And those who weep as though they did not weep and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, emotions are also temporal. Does that mean we don't rejoice? Of course we rejoice. Scripture calls us to rejoice. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And in Philippians, he says to rejoice always. So that's not telling us not to rejoice. It's telling us to keep in perspective the fact that our joy and our sorrow is temporal. And that eternally, all of our emotion will be on Christ. It's temporal. And, and then it keeps going. And, and, he, and he says, um, those who buy as those who, that they did not possess and those that use the world as though they did not make full use of it. What are the three things that people are so wrapped up in? Number one, um, husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend. Number two, my emotions control everything. And number three, what kind of stuff do I have? Do I have a boat? Do I have a car? Do I have a truck? Do I have a big house? Do I need a bigger house? Do I have a great job? Do I have a terrible job? All of these things are temporal. And in the process of having them, because we live on earth, and these are all things that are part of our earthly existence, don't lose perspective on those things that are eternal. So three, the passing world. It's better to remain single because the passing world has less of a hold on you. Those that are married, you've got a whole lot more of the world holding on to you. Is that a bad thing? No. But is it a better thing to not have that? Yes. And, and I want to talk about a, a verse, and, and this is this is kind of foundationing that Colossians 3 remember I said Colossians 3 talks about husbands love your wives wives respect your husbands right that's the end of chapter 3 well what does the beginning of chapter 3 say we always read uh, one or two verses we like and we don't read the stuff that comes before and the stuff that comes after what's the stuff that come before say therefore if you have been raised up with Christ keep seeking things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your affections, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. 
So does that mean I have to ignore Pam? No, because in verse 24 of chapter 3, he tells me to love my wife. So he's saying, first and foremost, your affections should be on me. And if that's right, then your affections for your wife will be right. And if you're single, your affections are only have to be focused on me. So don't let your marriage or lack of, don't let your emotions, don't let your stuff distract you from that which is eternal. And if you are, if you are single, that's one less distraction that you have. Verses 32 to 35. But I want you to be free from concern. Um, one who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, that he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is seemly and to secure undistracted devotion. So first thing, um, first reason to be single um, in view of the present distress. Two, problems of the flesh. Three, passing of the world. Four, free from concern, free from anxiety, free from dividedness, free from distraction. If you are a believer and you are single, you are given a great gift to be undistracted for your ministry for Christ. It's so hard to get to this point in your life and go, you know what? Um, I really feel like God is calling me to go to India to teach. And then you go, oh, I've got a wife and I've got six kids and I've got two grandkids and I've got a car payment and I've got a house payment and now I can't do that. Are those things bad? God, God has blessed marriage. God has blessed family. God has blessed grandchildren. But if you are unmarried, there are no distractions that keep you from serving Christ. None. Verse 39 and 40. And you're going to notice I skipped three verses here. And we'll come back to that. A wife is bound as long as her husband is bound. Oops, sorry. Back up to 38. No, I was right. 39. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, but only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God. That's not a, I think I do. That's a conviction. I think I have the Spirit of God. Okay? So, first reason to be single, in view of the present distress. Second reason to be single, problems of the flesh. Third reason to be single, passing of the world, passing things of the world. Fourth reason to be single, free from distraction. And fifth reason to be single, it's permanent, folks. Matthew 19, 3 to 10, Jesus goes through. The Pharisee comes and says, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And Jesus goes through. God made them male and female. You cleave to your wife. You are one flesh. And it goes through all of this. 
And then the disciples' response says, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. Now, have you ever thought about this? Now, I haven't done the, the, the extra biblical research like some folks in here might have, so you could speak clearer on this. But I'm just telling you what I'm seeing from Scripture. Okay? Twelve disciples. How many of them were married? Just what Scripture teaches. Do you think they heard what Jesus said here? One, Peter. One that we know of. Do you think they heard what he said here? <laughs> Um, just, just to kind of, and it, it's, it's interesting because it always comes back to the woman, but Proverbs 21, 9, it's better to live in the corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Proverbs 21, 19, it's better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. Folks, it's permanent. And you know what? She's not the only one that's got problems. Remember? Lots of fallen people living in that house. It's permanent. You know what? I'm going to save dads for next week. And I'm coming for you. Actually, I shouldn't say that. Paul's coming for you. Okay? Um, so let me review real quick because I want you to hear this again. Five reasons to be single. In view of the present, present distress, the, the, the world system that presses on us. Number two, the problems of the flesh. Because when you squash grapes, it gets messy. Problem three, things of this world are passing. And as a single, you're not as immersed in that passing world. Problem four, you are undistracted in your ministry. And sorry, I didn't say problem. Reason four. Reason five is permanent, folks. There's no getting out. No biblical reason for getting out. I pray with me. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for Paul and and uh, 1 Corinthians 7, thank you for opening our eyes to what singleness is in, in your sight, uh, that it is a good thing, um, and that those of us who are not there um, should remember 1 Corinthians 7 and encourage those that are single uh, and to love on them because as the, bodies, the body of believers, we are their family. Uh, help us to care for them and love on them. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen.